Chapter 7 of The Tuscan of Revolt and Other Essays. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carla Patton. The Tuscan of Revolt and Other Essays by Brander Matthews. Chapter 7 A Plea for the Platitude. Part 1 it is greatly to be regretted that we do not know the name of the man who boldly declared that grover cleveland was the greatest master of platitude since george washington it would be amusing to inquire whether he meant this for a compliment to cleveland or for a reproof to washington it would be interesting to ask him also whether he was prepared to concede that a practical politician at the head of the commonwealth ought to be a master of platitude if the unknown utter of this pregnant saying was willing to admit this he would find himself in the comfortable company of that shrewd student of affairs walter badgett who held that a statesman was likely to be most useful to the community when he combined common ideas and uncommon ability one of cleveland's most recent successors in the presidency of the united states was accused of talking about the ten commandments just as if he had received them as a direct personal revelation to himself now there's no denying that theodore roosevelt was wont to talk in this fashion and why not as a matter of fact the ten commandments had come to him as a direct personal revelation for so they must come to every one of us who is ready to receive them and to take them to heart in the case of roosevelt as in the case of washington and cleveland that which was foolishly meant as a reproof turns out to be a real compliment there can be no more imperative duty for the chief of state in a democratic republic than to reiterate the internal verities it is his privilege also to profit by the megaphone which destiny has put at his lips to cry aloud these imperishable truths and thus to force them upon ears that might otherwise refuse to listen it may be charged that when a leader of men is insistent in inserting again and again that honesty is the best policy he is lowering himself to the inculcation of the obvious but if this is just what he believes to be needful at the moment he has no right to shrink from saying once again what many have asserted before him stevenson hit the center when he suggested that after all the commonplaces are the great poetic truths perhaps there is a small risk in declaring that we americans have a lust for novel ideas and that we listen with jaded credulity to those who get up in the marketplace to proclaim a new gospel yet we are all aware that what is new is not likely to be true and that what is true is likely to be old we all know this and yet we are often impatient with those old fogies who abide by the ancient landmarks we are prone to laugh at the mossbacks brave enough to risk the reproach 
brought against the cadet which has the habit of saying an undisputed thing in such a solemn way the undisputed things are always in danger of being neglected and they need to be said afresh to every generation in the special vocabulary of that generation and with whatever of solemnity we can command the wisdom of the fathers must be restated for the benefit of the children and yet again for the guidance of the grandchildren just as it is certain evidence of juvenility to shriek out an accusation of plagiarism whenever two plays happen to have a casual resemblance of situation or whenever two poems chance to have a superficial identity of phrase or of cadence so it is an assured sign of immaturity to sneer at a political leader who reasserts the principles which he deems permanent and essential for the common will and to scarf at him as a dealer in platitudes and an expounder of commonplaces commonplace said lord molly in words that sound almost like an echo of stevens's after all is exactly what contains the truth which are indispensable the brief speech which lincoln delivered at gettysburg nearly sixty years ago is now accepted as one of the masterpieces of english pose withstanding comparison with the address on a similar occasion that thucydides put into the mouth of pericles it is as perfect in its lofty dignity of sentiment as it is in its lapidary concision of style but there would be little difficulty in proving that it contains nothing new since the thoughts that sustain it are as self-evident as they are sincere they are the ancient thoughts which deemed to be voiced again then and there the stones of this sublime structure are commonplaces recognized as such long before lincoln was born long before columbus set sail on the western ocean these well-worn blocks lincoln chose for his own use with his unerring tact and he submitted them together once again by his own personality hamlet's soliloquy to be or not to be is a mosaic of sentiments and of opinions familiar to every one of us from our youth up and already faced in all sorts of fashion in every tongue living or dead nevertheless that monologue compounded as it may be of commonplaces bereft of all novelty glows and burns with the inner fire of hamlet's soul at that awful crisis of his fate it propounds once and for all the mighty questions we cannot help putting to ourselves when we also find ourselves in the valley of the shadow and when the time comes for any one of us to face those questions we shall not cavil at their iniquity for then they will erect themselves in front of us with a new-born challenge part two it may be acknowledged frankly that the gettysburg speech and hamlet's soliloquy are extreme cases the savour of a stimulating individuality is likely to be lacking from compositions 
as fundamentally unoriginal as these two are seen to be when they are reduced to their elements a commonplace is effective and therefore not merely to be pardoned but even to be praised only when it is a personal rediscovery of the speaker when he unhesitatingly believes himself to be speaking out of the fullness of his own feeling at the moment he may not know and he surely does not care whether or not the things he is called upon to speak have ever been uttered before and he is well aware that this does not matter at all since these things have come to him fresh from his own experience hot from his own heart then the platitude is redeemed and transfigured by poignant personality as when the fabled scotsman as verted earnestly that honesty is the best policy adding by way of explanation i hate tribate what could be more commonplace than honesty is the best policy it is the tritus of truism but it came to the mouth of that man from the depth of his own soul he had no doubt but that he was lighting a torch for the feet of those who wandered in the darkness deprive commonplace of this note of rediscovery by which the old is made new of its own accord and it is the abomination of desolation a sequence of platitudes peddled from a platform of an uninspired speaker who refuses to rely on his actual feelings who never had an idea of his own and who is seeking to say only what nobody will dispute this cannot fail to be stale flat and unprofitable even if every single commonplace of which it is compacted may contain an imitable truth it is the prevalence of speech-making of this sort so threadbare and so colourless that it seems insincere which revolts those who demand that a man shall reveal some evidence either of emotion or of celebration before they will listen to him this attitude is natural enough but it brings with it a double danger first of all it tempts us to disregard the truth which may be clothed in the most offensively insipid commonplace and second it allures us into the primrose path of paradox the commonplace is not always to be accepted at its face value it may not be true now whatever it has been once upon a time and it may even never have been true but only plausible and specious there is no virtue in the commonplace itself and there may be vice in it its value resides wholly in the truth which it may contain and which each of us must appraise for himself but as the truth is not necessarily inherent in a platitude neither is it necessarily inherent in a paradox even mr shaw and mr chesterton if pushed to the wall would probably be willing to admit that there are some paradoxes which are not true they might be ready even to accept the definition of a paradox as a truth serving its apprenticeship 
That is what a paradox may be, no doubt. It may be a preemptory challenge to the commonplace which has ceased to sheath the verity. Even if it has not yet worn out its welcome, the paradox of this quality, however, is not really a paradox. It is only a pseudo-paradox. It is a new shape of truth. And by that very fact, it is condemned to become a commonplace in its turn whenever it shall have ousted the platitude it is attacking. This pseudo-paradox, which sooner or later will inevitably issue from unthinking lips as an impregnable platitude, is never merely a commonplace reversed. To turn a truth upside down is not to turn it inside out. To stand a truism on its head is profitless, and there is no stimulus to clear thought in a glib suggestion that dishonesty is the best policy, or that procrastination is the guardian of time. And in fullacy, a phrase-making like this may have an erivescent glitter, yet it is but the flickering of thorns under a pot. It may amuse babes and sucklings for a little season to be told that the devil is not as black as he is painted, since he possesses at least the Christian virtue of perseverance. Verbal fireworks are attractive only to the very young. The writer whose pages coruscate with unexpected inversions of accepted beliefs and who exhibits himself as a Catherine Wheel of multicolored paradox is likely sooner to sputter out in the darkness and in silence. If Mr. Bernard Shaw has any abiding value as a stimulated thinker, this is in spite of his flamboyant method of expressing himself and not because of it. A French critic has asserted that men may be grouped into three classes so far as their attitude towards the truth is concerned. First of all, there is an immense majority assured that the wisdom of the past will be the wisdom of the future, and glad always to hear again the accepted commonplace. Second, there is the youthful minority, weary of these traditional statements and avidly relishing any paradox which seems to pierce the crust of convention. Third, there is the little knot of those who are in the habit of doing their own thinking and who are ever ready to receive a novel idea on probation, to weigh it cautiously and to test it thoroughly with the willingness to accept it ultimately and to make it their own thereafter, if it approves itself. It is from these small companies that new ideas come into being and get into circulation. The members of this third group have to be won over before any novelty has a valid chance of acceptance. And when at last they have been taken captive, the members of the first group will slowly, very slowly, and after violent opposition, follow in their wake. The chosen few carry the flag to the front, and trailing after them comes the immense majority which gives solidarity to the body politic. Change in its mind only by almost imperceptible degrees. 
and the second group the youthful minority with its delight in disinterrogating paradox is almost negligible because it lacks intellectual sincerity its puerile protest against the platitudes which buttress the social organization merely irritate the immense majority while they evoke only tolerant contempt for wiser men the youthful minority is puffed up with pride at its discovery that elementary truths are commonplace but bread and beef are the commonplaces of diet none the less wholesome and indeed none the less welcome because they lack the spice of novelty man cannot live by paradox alone if the staff of life chances to be contained in any paradox then this is not a true paradox and then also it is on the way in its turn to become a platitude it was Bellieu who remarked that a new thought is a thought which must have come to many but which some one happens first to express and this is perhaps the source of popes what oft was thought but near so well expressed if we insist on escaping from the fenced fields of the commonplace we cannot complain if we find ourselves landing in the thorny hedge of freakish unreason End of chapter